I want to say good evening, good evening. Good evening and thank you for joining us. It's a beautiful Tuesday evening and if it's a Tuesday, you know what that means. It's time for Change Matters Solutions. We do this each and every Tuesday here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. It's 7 o'clock here in Big D, Dallas, Tejas. It is 8 o'clock on the East Coast and it's 5 o'clock on the West Coast. And if you're in the mountain time zone, hey, you do the math. We've got another great show lined up for you, so stick and stay and don't go away. And remember, tell a neighbor, tell a friend to join the Change Matters Movement. I'm your host, Kenny Hendricks, and we are waiting on my co-host, Colette Williams, to join. She will be joining shortly. But we're going to have another great conversation, as we always do. We're going to talk about the issues that affect our community, our community, your community. We're going to talk about the things that affect you. We have news and views that you can use, and we talk to you, with you, for you, and about you. And it's all good here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. And while we're waiting on my co-host to join, I've got a good friend on the line I want to bring in, a gentleman who's got his own podcast out there. And if you want to listen to that, you need to make sure you find him out there on all your podcast platforms. This is Mr. Chauncey Brown Jr. Chauncey, my brother, how you doing? I'm blessed. Thank you for having me on, Kenny. It's good. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear your voice. One of the things I wanted to talk about uh, today was, and I'm sure you've kept up with the news, there's a lot of police officers that are resigning across the country. Uh, 60 police officers in New York. uh, 400 plus officers quit between Seattle and Louisville. And the entire... Um, crowd control unit, like 50 officers in Portland resign. Now, this, I've got a couple of things I want to talk about here. First of all, is that, you know, why is this happening? Why are they quitting? Why are they resigning? And I think resignations across the country, no, retirements are retirements across the country are up like 45% and resignations across the country are up 18%. So there's a lot going on here. And in my estimation, you know, police have gotten to the point where they want to do certain things. They want to to do these things with impunity. And what we're seeing is that, especially with the Derek Chauvin case, there's some accountability. And I think these police just don't want to be held accountable. They want to be able to bust heads open, shoot people, do all these things that they do. And not be held accountable for them. And they don't want it if they're going to be held accountable. As far as I'm concerned, that's fine. If you don't want the job, if you don't want to be held accountable, then go find some something else to do. So what's your take on that, Chauncey? Well, as being a, a retired fire captain, uh, I want to say thank you for all those police for their service. Uh, not all police are bad. We do have bad apples. Um, and it's unfortunate you know, what has happened uh, to so many uh, that have fallen victims uh, to um, police violence, if you will. Um, You know, talking about defunding the police and the acceleration of all these resignations, um, uh, to a certain extent, you know, I understand what you mean by impunity. Um, But I think that when we see um, these progressive organizations on the left, like Black Lives Matter, pushing to defund the police department. And we look at all of those who have been injured and all the businesses that have been destroyed. No one has been brought to justice with Black Lives Matter. 
or Antifa that I'm aware of, but I, especially Black Lives Matter. So my point is, is that uh, if these municipalities have stand down orders where they can't defend their cities and they cannot defend their community against these people that are protesting rioters, you know, using force, using violence, um, it puts police in a very difficult position that um, why am I going to jeopardize my life and my career, my family, when I'm not getting the support of the left or the administration, um, especially when the acts are just. So I, I think it's a complex issue. I think it's something that needs to be talked about because there's a lot on both sides of the discussion. Uh, but like I said, you know, uh, most police officers, I thank them for the service as well as all first responders, but there are bad apples and we have to figure out a way through training, through psychologically testing prior coming on to the job. We have to look at those type of factors of people that we hire. And I think that, you know, we talk about additional training. I think we need to look at more of psychological training and psychological mm-hmm, evaluation mm-hmm. of these individuals before they come on the job of rather than give them the job and the badge and the gun and say, okay, let's evaluate them. So I think that that needs to take into account to see if they have biases, discrimination, prejudices. You know, I, I think that they really need to do more research on the backgrounds of police officers that are going to be representing, especially people of color. If they haven't come from that community, it is difficult for them to effectively interact with them. Right. So, right. you know, so there it's a very complex issue. It's not just a black and white issue. It's a social um, issue of the interaction of them not growing up in that environment. You know, there's a whole whole host of things. And I think that that's where we should be looking at um investing money and, and looking at programs. And like I said, the psychological testing, psychological programs prior to, we really have to evaluate what are our, our expectations of a police officer rather than just protect and serve. And I think that's what we have to really start. And, and I, some of that I agree with now. Now, you know, we talk about the bad apples and, you know, we always hear that, you know, there's just a few bad apples, but, you know, somebody wrote this and I wish I could take credit for it, but somebody else said, you know, if you got, you know, 2,000 officers on, 2,015 officers on the force, and you have 2,000 good ones and 15 bad apples. If the 2,000 good ones aren't keeping the 15 bad apples in check, then you have 2,015 bad apples. So, you know, we hear that, that, you know, not, not are all bad. And no, they're not. They're not all bad. I'm not saying that. But they are not in a position to keep the, the, the good ones are not in a position to keep the bad ones in check. Now we all know about the thin blue line, and we know that. Uh, and I've got an, I had an uncle who was a LA County Sheriff, and he was one of the first Black LA County Sheriff, and he had issues knowing that if he did certain things, that he wouldn't get backup from his brothers in arms or his partners. So there is a there's a closed fraternity with police officers, and so it, it, it's you know you talk about the bad apples. Why do we have so many bad apples? Yeah, we need some psychological testing. We need to to. There's a lot that needs to be done. There needs to be some police reform. Uh, reform now with regard to Black Lives Matter. I'm not a Black Lives. I'm a, a proponent of the movement, but not of the organization. The organization is full of crap. They have got ninety million dollars last year and have made off with the money. So that organization is is the worst thing that could have come along. And they've 
made some very, very bad decisions, and they've made the black community and a lot of people look bad based on a lot of things that they're doing. So, you know, that's there. But one of the things that needs to happen now, this is a perfect opportunity for people in black and brown communities to join the police departments. Go down there, apply for the jobs, and police your own communities. The two police chiefs ago here in the, in the city of Dallas, his last name was, escapes me, right, Brown. His last name was Brown. I can't think of his first name. He was a police chief when... Uh, that guy came down here and sh- killed those five officers, sniper, it was a sniper, killed those five officers. Mm-hmm. Chief Brown was here then. He res- uh, retired shortly after that. And one of the things he said after some of the riots that went on was that, you know, once you f- finish protesting and you get off the protest line, go get in the employment line, become a cop, and police your own communities. And we need to do more of that because, like you say, Chauncey, People that don't come from the community can't understand the community, and they see us as the other. And that's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. They come into our communities. They don't like us. They see us as the other, and they are ready to do things at the drop of a hat, do negative things at the drop of a hat, because they just don't understand. And unless we get more officers in the system, you know, it's never going to change. One of the big riots in L.A., all those LAPD lived up in um, Simi Valley. Simi Valley is like... 40, 50, 60 miles north of Los Angeles. They didn't want to have anything to do with, with what was going on down in South Central L.A. They see the negative images on television, and this is what they come in and do. So I, I completely understand that. And the other thing is that we do ask police to do too much. We want them to be police. We want them to be psychiatrists. We want them to be, you know, hold our Social hands. Social workers. Social workers, yes, exactly. <laughs> all, all those things. And I, th- I think what we need to look at from a societal standpoint is what are the things that police are doing that we can offload to somebody else, like the social work sorts of things, going into places where there may be a, a, a domestic issue where you don't need somebody with a gun in a billy club. You need somebody to talk somebody down. Now, I'm not... You know, I'm not naive enough to think that by in and of itself, by itself, is going to work. There needs to be some training. There needs to be some uh, contingencies. They need to look at that whole thing holistically, not just do okay. You just send this guy in. In and addition, it, I want to add when we talk about domestic issues, sending people in without guns. We have to also look at the laws that are in place. Uh, like I said, I worked on the fire department. I worked on the ambulance. I worked a lot with police. And in these situations, uh, when you have a domestic case, uh, like in New Jersey, basically if the cops show up, one of them is leaving. One of them is getting arrested. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because so, so we also have to look at the laws that are in place that put police officers in different positions, okay, uh, when they do arrive on a particular scene. So, like I said, there's a lot of things that we have to look at, you know, the psychological training, the evaluation of their social dynamic, their friends, how they grew up. I mean, that's important, but also we really need to look at what are our expectations as a community Mm -hmm. of police officers today, and that has to be incorporated in the state laws guidelines of how we hire our officers, along with that psychological training. You know, it's not just defunding the police. We have to change how we work with the police. What is the expectation? 
Oh, what absolutely. Yeah. Expect, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that. We're always talking about the unfortunate results of when something bad happens, and then we look back at it, at the situation, you know? Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. It's a very complex issue. Uh, I don't support the funding the police because it hurts communities of people of color dramatically. Okay, people of wealth can can hire private security. So I don't support I don't support the fund the police. I don't support Black Lives Matter. You know, as a matter of fact, as being a man of faith, I don't support any racial organization. All lives matter to me, and that's what's important to me. I do not support any type of division or identity politics. And that's where I know, Ken, that we have somewhat of a, a separation. Yeah. Respectfully. Respectfully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know what I mean? But it's okay because that's why we're on the show because we have various views that people can look at objectively. Yeah. And I, and I, 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 again, I don't support the organization. I support the, uh, the movement, if you will, of Black Lives yes. Matter. They, saying because they, the police are shooting black men and women in, in greater numbers than they do anyone else. And this is just saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, take a step back. We do matter. And so, yeah, all lives matter, but everyone is not getting killed at the same rate from police that we are. But having said that, there was a case a couple of days ago, you may have read about it, in um, Arvada, or Arveda, however you pronounce it, uh, Colorado, outside of Denver. There was a guy who was going to do a mass shooting uh, got out of his car, saw a cop, killed the cop, uh, shot him with a shotgun, started blasting out the windows in the patrol car, shooting in the air, went back to his car, got an AR-15, and was going to basically start mowing people down. There was a concealed carrier uh, citizen there, saw that, shot this guy, took him out, killed him. But he made the mistake of picking up the AR-15. So when the police got there, they saw him with the AR-15 and they lit him up. They killed him. No questions. They just opened fire. Now, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. See, that was a bad move. I mean, once you shoot that guy, yeah, you, you let him pick- lay there until police, and you don't touch any evidence. You're right. I mean, that was not that was not smart on his part. Yeah, at all. yeah not smart on his part. Yeah. But but again, it, yeah. it, 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 it shows that, you know, it can happen anywhere. You know, and this is Arvada, and and I'm assuming you know this was white white guy in Arvada, uh, Colorado. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty much assuming it was a white guy there, and they shot him. Then I just heard about another one today that was in Arkansas. They shot a 17 year old kid, stopped him uh, in the middle of the night, and he had a, apparently an older car or a truck, and he needed to put something behind the wheel to keep the car from moving. And I don't know the details there. But when he did something, the cop just shot him. And I do know that I saw a picture. This was a white kid. So they are so quick to shoot these days. Again, I get they've got a difficult job. I get there's a lot going on. But, you know, if you go back all the way back to the Tamir Rice case, there's a young man in the park with a BB gun. They shot him with it, pulled up and shot him within two seconds. No drop the weapon, nothing. They just shot him. They just seem to be way too quick on the trigger. It's shoot now and ask questions later. And and I think it's coming back to bite them. That's why you're seeing the protest. That's why these things are happening. And again, in my estimation, I think a lot of them are, are, are quitting and resigning and retiring because they are being held accountable and they don't want to be held accountable. And they may not be thinking about it like that. 
They may be thinking, I'm just trying to do my job. But if you look at it from the citizen standpoint, you know, especially in the black community, you call a cop, that's usually not going to turn out bad. You know, you look at the case here two, three years ago, uh, one evening, one o'clock in the morning, the neighbor saw a young woman's house. The, the front door was open. Now, why he didn't go knock on the door himself, I don't know, and I blame him for that. But he called the police, and the cop, instead of knocking on the door, went around side. The woman inside, a young lady inside, saw somebody outside her window, picked up her gun, and the cop shot her inside her house from outside. You know, excuse me, Ken, what you're talking about is very, very interesting because now we're talking about two things. Situational training is one. Another thing we're talking about, and it reminded me of my father in the late 60s when he told me how to engage if a police officer pulls you over. Mm -hmm. If it's at nighttime, you turn your interior light, you put your hands over the uh, the steering column. You don't do any movements. So it's unfortunate that that guy got shot. But see, police officers, you know, listen, today is with the crime as high as it is and the intensity, uh, uh, you know, these police are acting, uh, you know, not even, they're they're defensive, extremely defensive when they show up on a scene. And that's what we're talking about, situational training, Mm -hmm. you know, like the lady that pulled out the gun instead of the taser. These are all situational training. So we need to have more situational training. Because now they can prepare themselves differently. That kid should have never been killed with the, with the gun instead of the taser. But he shouldn't have turned the thing and put the gas. In, you know, so it, it, it becomes complicated and intricate. If you comply, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there has still been people. Yeah, cases where people comply. Yeah. Been, mm-hmm. You know, for, for complying. I remember uh, a month or two ago with the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, service officer being pulled over in his uniform by two white police officers telling them I'm on a job, telling him, you know, he's, he's in his camouflage. Yeah. I, I have my weapon. And to see these two police officers engage with disrespect, okay, first of all, he's a federal employee. Mm-hmm. He's a military officer. You didn't even see a situation like that. Basically, he was black. Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. you gave no respect to the uniform. Mm-hmm. So to my estimation, looking at that, that was clearly a bias in, for lack of a better term, prejudice or racist issue. Right. And Because and, that's like said, you know, get get. No, you say, and, and yeah, that, that definitely was. And there are a lot of, and there are cases, you know, for example, uh, uh, there was another one I just read about. I mean, if you don't comply, you know, you're, the bad things are going to happen. Now, non, exactly. non-compliance <laughs> should not be a death sentence. That's what Amen. I have an issue with. Amen. You know, I, and I know I'm all for the fact that you don't comply, you get your ass whooped. Hey, that's <laughs> yeah, life. You're, old school. you're right. Yeah, I'm old school, man. And the police yep. will do it. So, I, yeah, but it should not be a death sentence. But unfortunately, many times noncompliance, especially with black people, it becomes a death sentence. Like the one three, four, or five years ago uh, in Oklahoma where they stopped a guy and uh, the News chopper was over. Oh, that looks like it, but he's a bad dude. What do you mean he's a bad dude? There was there was nothing. I mean, he didn't have tattoos all over the place and like a biker. You know, he was a, a black man. He was a large guy who got stopped by the police, and he actually ended up getting killed as well. So, 
you know, they, they, the, the biases do exist, Amen. you know, and, you know, I tell my son to comply, you know, exactly. because you cannot win that on the streets. You fight it in the courts because mm-hmm. the thing about it is, is even if the cop is found to be wrong, if he is found fired, if he loses his job, if he is tried and convicted and goes to jail, you're still dead. You know, George Floyd is still dead. Even though Derek Chauvin has gone to jail and he's got more things coming at him, George Floyd is still dead. And unfortunately, that's what happens these days. And it appears to me that this is what's happening right now. The police don't want to be held accountable. They think they're being uh, 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 um, straddled from doing their jobs. You know, their, their, their hands are being tied behind their back. Well, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a matter of what came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, are they being, uh, are they treating people like this because of what people are doing or people doing what they were doing, are doing because of the way they've been treated by the police? You know, so it, yeah, it, it, it is definitely a, a, a difficult, it's a complex issue. Now, with regard to defund the police, and from what I understand, and I'm a words guy, they, you know, they, they, if you talk to the people, they say, we don't mean completely defund the police. We mean taking some of the funds and move it over to more social type things. And that's fine. But I also say, you got to say what you mean because people think you mean what you say. So when you talk about defund the police, people think you mean just get rid of all the police. And that's not going to happen. Now, if you talk about taking the police, and again, like we just talked about, rather than having everybody, you know, all members of the police force being uh, um, uniformed military type ass kickers, maybe you've got somebody who can talk to people, some negotiators, some social work people, even traffic people. I think there needs to be some, some thought given to the fact that do police need to be the ones actually making traffic stops. I'm not sure that they are because so many of these things happen because of a traffic stop gone bad. And uh, my good friend Leonard Collins and one of our board members is on. Leonard, feel free to join in on this. And actually, I see uh, Colette has joined yeah. in. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we I haven't been right since Martin Luther King, but let's, let's remember, a lot of people don't remember how the Watts riots started. Um, because every time we start tearing up stuff, it's generally because of a police killing us mm-hmm. and them getting off. Um, they're going to get off. So it, it doesn't make a difference how you want to look at it. Um, I think the lesson for us is to understand that culturally and in our culture, we really can't de- depend on the police. Um, to help us because that's not what they do when it comes to us. Uh, Zaza Gabor, you remember back when she stopped the cop pulled yeah. over mm-hmm. and he, she slapped him in the mouth, right? Nothing. Uh, the insurrection. They had 4,000 of them, you know, and I'm, as my son would say, if that had been black people, it would have been 100 dead and 5,000 injured. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not fair for us. It's never been fair for us. And it's not going to be fair for us because 
they're not going to change their approach to us. It's always going to be the same thing. And for us to continue to think in a very naive, and at this point, it's naive and ignorant. That's going to change. You know, if I had any recommendations, we need to have our own uh, law enforcement in our community. And whenever we have issues, um, we just call that department. At least we know we're probably going to get a fair shake. Um, I'm all about the end that. Of the, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and until we, it's the same thing that you have always been saying, Kenny. You know, why are we waiting for permission? I don't know how many times we need to be killed. Uh, we talk about George Floyd, but the only reason why that became a big deal is because of the COVID. Because uh, what was the uh, guy's name that was selling the cigarettes? Uh, Eric Garner. Eric Garner in now, New York. They, they sitting there, they choking him. I mean, homeboy just laid on my man's neck. But you see them on national TV. They got a chokehold, two of them. I mean, and the guy is as big as I don't know what. Mm-hmm. And you hear him say over and over and over, stop resisting. And all you hear him saying is, I can't breathe. But the other thing is, why did they need five? I think there was five officers on scene. Why do you right. need five officers on scene for guys selling cigarettes? Hand them a summons and move, move on. You know, and here's, yeah. here's another thing I think they need to they look at. Uh, the case in Carolina where he shot the guy in the back when he was trying to run away. If, if you recall, he had stopped the car and the guy ran. He found him later in the park and that's when he shot him. You got the guy's car. You got the guy's driver's license. You know who he is. There's no sense in... Why are you chasing somebody like that? I, I think there should not... The police should not be able to chase you if it is a non-felony stop. If they have no reason to believe that it's a felony stop then they should not chase you, especially if they've got your car. You run away from your car, they got your car. They're going to find you. You know, so this right. whole chase, right. chasing people down and all that is, right. is, is it's something out of Keystone Cops and, and needs to change because it ends up, you know, he turned around, I feared for my life. There was a one uh, few months ago, I believe it was a Mexican kid, might have been in Arizona, and he came out with his, he ran, then he came out from behind the, uh, a gate with his hands up. Right. And they shot him. So, you know, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but, but part of the job is being in danger. You know, and, and shooting every time is not the answer. And I think that's what's happening. They're shooting every time and it's turning out bad for a lot of people. And now it's turning out bad for them. You know, Derek Chauvin's in jail. The girl here, uh, they shot Botham Jean is in jail. Uh, the woman that grabbed the taser instead of the gun, uh, she's going to go to trial. And again, how do you, do you guys know the difference between a taser and a Glock 19? There's no similarities at all. The taser is bright, bright yellow. Feels different, looks different, everything. So... Even in the heat of the moment, if you can't tell the difference, then something needs to, something needs to change. You know, uh, Kenny. Also, if if I may, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think the larger issue, uh, as we're talking about the challenges, and, and Leonard's right that you know uh, we've been systematically targeted, and we can talk all we want. It's not going to change. And as I'm listening to Leonard talk, it's making me think about 
we kill more of each other in our own neighborhoods mm-hmm. than police kill us. And I think that's So as I'm listening to Leonard, I'm saying to myself, you know what? The conversation maybe should, should change from not what the police are doing to us, but what we're doing to each other. Each other. Exactly. Okay. And, and, and because now if we look at what we're doing to each other, and if we look at it from a white perspective, oh, uh, look at those brothers. They ain't a, no bunch of animals. They're all shooting up each other. So whenever they come in contact with a black person, they're in fear right away. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you know, so I, I really think that the conversation, we need to try to save our own brothers and sisters oh, yeah. from killing each other uh, because the, the issue is so national. Uh, uh, that, you know, it, it makes it seem that a white cop killing a black kid is greater than black on black crime, which it's not. Black on black crime is the highest in the nation. There is no crime against blacks that's the highest against ourselves. And I think those are the real numbers that we need to look at. Why are we killing each other? Oh, absolutely. We need to look at the yeah. social, educational, and economic complexities on how we can solve that problem. You're right, Leonard. We're not going to tra- we're not going to change the institution of the police departments in America. You're absolutely correct, but we need to work on how we change the institution of our own communities and societies. We got to stop pointing the finger at other things, and we need to start pointing the finger at us and start talking about these situations, these ideas, and come up with real solutions to our problems that nobody's going to help us with. Yeah, exactly, and and we talk about this all the time. We, it, you know? the only the only thing I would say, Chauncey, on that. Is yeah. that the only difference is these people out shooting each other, they're criminals. And when the police shoot us, we expect the, the, the expectation is the police are here to help, not to kill us. I think that's, that's, that's the difference. Because these guys, people shooting each other, these are gangsters, gang members, and gang Kenny, bangers. Kenny, and, and, Kenny and we know the difference, but that's why we're having this conversation because the police don't know the difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're saying. If they're looking at a black person, they're all violent, and boom. Well, see, whatever the reaction is. And, and that's, that's another problem with, 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 with society is that if a white, and I don't mean just a white against black sort of thing, but if, a, exactly. if one white person does something, the entire, race, the entire race is not blamed for it. But let a black person do something, the entire race is blamed for it. I got into an uh-huh. online argument with a guy a few years ago. There was a, a, a like a YouTube video some, some, and it was black people. The parents had, had, had it was Christmas time, and the kid was maybe six, seven years old. And the box said something like that he was opening the present said Xbox on it, so he thought he was getting an Xbox. And he opened it up, and it wasn't an Xbox. It was cruel. It was cruel, and he was crying because he thought he was getting it was clothes or something like that. And some white guy wrote in, you know, one of the comments said, "This is why I hate black people." So he blamed all that, that those little ignorant people, he blamed all black people for that. So I said to him, what about all these white women who have killed their kids? Susan Smith, Darlie Routier, the woman down in, and this was right about that time when these women were killing their kids and blaming black people. You know, so we get blamed for that. We get blamed for every time somebody black does something, the entire race gets blamed for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's unfortunate. It, it, it is what it is. You know, but 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 I, I I agree and I agree wholeheartedly that we have to figure out. See, nobody's going to fix us killing each other except us. Amen. We're the ones that have. You know, and I keep saying ninety percent of the problems we have we can fix internally. Yep. The rundown, our, our rundown neighborhoods. We're supposed to fix that. Those are our neighborhoods. We got to fix that. Nobody's going to come in and fix that. Look you know how the black neighborhoods looked. 
in the 50s. Yes. In the 40s, mm-hmm. in the 60s. Look how our, you know, you're a little older than me as well. I think Leonard is I'm almost 60. But we look at how our community, everybody, the neighbors looked out for everybody. That type of community and neighborhood uh, doesn't exist anymore. No, no, you it know, doesn't. We're, we're, we're other parents are looking out for other kids. I mean, our whole social dynamic of the black community has been shaken by various issues, whether it's education, uh, uh, economics. We can go down the whole list, mm-hmm. you know, and we got to find out a way. One, how do we bring more money into our communities? How do we keep the money in our communities? How do we start supporting each other? Mm-hmm. Okay, because if my brother is shooting another brother, that's just as much as my problem as the next brother. You know, it's still in my my city. It's still in my neighborhood. And I think that's what we have to work on, too, is that if we're all accountable for our brother's actions, like you said earlier, Kenny, if there's 2,000 police, how come they're allowed a 15 or 20 to go bad and, and, and go unjust? I think we need to apply that same type of thing in our own community. You know, we really mm-hmm. need to, like Leonard says, police ourselves, come up with strategies, how we discipline our own selves, but also put corrective measures in place for people to grow and build economically, socially. We need we need a lot of work to do. And like when I was growing up, it was the church, which now the church is not what it was when we were young, where that was the backbone of our community. And it was a refuge. You know? It was a refuge. And it, exactly. And it was a refuge. Mm-hmm for help, anything you needed, spiritual, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and, and now clothing, anything, you know, and now, you know, I, I, the, the church, you know, uh, you know, and I'm not saying all churches, but the church is not the church that I know when I was growing up that was there for the community. And it, it almost seems like once they started receiving government money, they created nonprofits, they started engaging in politics. That's when their positions became neutral, uh, whereas though they will not attack uh, particular politicians or leadership because it may affect their state or federal funding. Would, and, and, go ahead, Kenny. Now say, which amazes me because you see other churches doing it all the time. Kenneth Copeland, uh, Paula White, uh, they're all out there making all these political statements, supporting uh, a, a, a politician, and they're not losing their funding. But for some reason, black churches seem to be afraid to say anything in our defense because they're afraid of losing their funding. And also the federal law uh, really does not allow the clergy to, if you look at the law, actually, you're not. they're not allowed to engage in politics when they receive that money. They're not allowed to... They're not allowed to, by law, make political statements, endorsements. When you have a nonprofit, you cannot engage in political activities, especially a church. And it's ironic. They break the law all the time. I saw it in in Patterson uh, two years ago in that election, and I called it out. You got the president of the NAACP, who's the pastor of the church, who we had a a kid that was killed by the police, and the NAACP was silent because that same pastor was engaging in politics. You know, and that's another thing that we have to root out is that we're selling ourselves, we're selling ourselves out for whatever, for whatever political and economic gains we want, but it's not trickling and benefiting the community. And we can see the result. Well, I don't understand how, again, Paula White, Kenneth Copeland, uh, uh, Franklin Graham, 
uh, I could go on down the line, were all very much supporting the last guy, very mm-hmm. pub- very publicly, and there was I mean there was no ifs ands or buts. It was it was in your face. You know they're saying we support this guy. He's our guy. They even came out and said he's the chosen one. You know these churches did that. But you ask a wow. you ask a black church to to just help. Oh, we don't want to lose our our, our nonprofit status. We don't want to lose our five hundred one three C. We had a gentleman on the show a few years ago who was, he was out of uh, I believe he was out of Chicago, and he said his organization went to all the black churches in town and said we needed what we would like you to do just to show how much money comes through the black neighborhood is when that money comes into your uh, basket, what is it called? The collection plate. Mm-hmm. Just take a black marker, a magic marker, and put a black mark on it. And then we can watch that money. See how that money circulates. Do you realize not a single church would do it? Not a single one. And it wasn't costing them a dime. But they yeah, would not but, you know, excuse me, when it comes to us, um, if you think about it, every time there's an election, who do the white folks talk about the Catholics and this um, 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 individual that's running for office needs to get, what's the other uh, white church uh, other than Catholic? What are they? Protestant. They uh, Protestant. Protestant. Yeah. Uh, they need to go after the Protestant uh, vote. See, they'll use that. And the old adage, um, uh, Chauncey was mentioned, we were coming up. I could I could ask my father to go out with the boys, and he said, "No, you can't go out." That's right. And I'd have to tell you guys, you can't go out. Why Why can't you go out? You can't get pregnant because we had a culture. Because the thing was, girls are the ones that we have to watch, not the guys. Well, my dad's approach was, you have the seed. So if I keep you at the house, I ain't got to worry about some father knocking on my door that you're pregnant. But my point I'm making is also, you've heard this, and all of us heard this story. If I mention, well, Kenny's parents let him go out. So if Kenny jumps off the cliff, you going to jump off with him? That's, that's the first thing he'd say. The second thing he'd say, I ain't got to worry about Kenny. Kenny's not mine. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're mine. That's right. So the same thing applies uh, to us. And, and as much as I hate to say this, and I love everybody that's educated, don't get me wrong. But he did also tell me we have educated fools because every time one of our uh, leaders mentioned that black-on-black crime, we cannot wait to add, to show the stats of how white people are. I don't care about white people because right. they have their edge. We do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, so as all of us that are up in age mm-hmm. talk about how we were brought up, the village, That's once right. we're gone, this next generation... And so, as Kenny said, and Yolanda, this is why we have this show. We're really trying to sound the alarm on, on a grand scale. Because uh, I have also asked people, think about when your kid was 22, 23, 24, 25, now, today. Think about the kids that are 22, 23. And everybody says, and Yolanda can't wait to light these young kids up. Okay? So, if you look at where these kids are today, and then reflect back on when you was 22, I could pretty much say from age 19 to at least 23, you were in college, okay? You were in college. You can't say that about this generation right now, okay? So, and they don't have any cultural collectivity. 
and the village is no longer there. If if I was walking on the grass, on Kenny's grass and Yolanda's grass, Ooh. and you know you're not supposed to walk on nobody's grass. Oh my grass. goodness. You know, yeah, don't walk on the grass. You don't walk on somebody's grass. So when Kenny's nope. father says, get off my grass. That's right. I don't say anything, but I'm sorry, the, Mr. Travis. Don't tell my father. Amen. Don't, yeah. please, yep. don't tell my dad, right? There is no talking back to Mr. Travis, right? That's, that's right. Okay, you, you see what I'm trying to say? These, mm. these days are gone. Yep. And this is the unfortunate part about where we're at, because we are seriously in a crisis situation. Right. Because, exactly. Shanti, just as you're laughing and, and Kenny's laughing, yep. that's our culture collectivity yeah. that has yeah. disappeared. Right. It doesn't yeah. exist any longer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, and I'm wanting to, to make... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chauncey, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say that I'm blessed to have grown up in the 60s and 70s. I'm blessed to have my father that said, you know, you can't walk on the lawn and like, you know, the things that Leonard said, you know, and having this show, like you said, Leonard, to raise the alarm of how we grew up, how we live and how we hope that things can change and turn around, you know, because that's all we have at this point is hope. Right. And I wanted to make a comment about, uh, something that Chauncey said and something that Leonard said. The first thing is that if you remember the guy who took the weapon from the officer that was bringing him into the courtroom back in Atlanta, and this was, I can't remember how many years ago, but the guy, he overpowered her, even though she was too small to have that guy in her custody. So he was walking, she was walking him into the courtroom he overpowers her, takes her gun, shoots the judge, shoots somebody else in the courtroom and ran. And they couldn't find him. Well, he ran and went into a white woman's trailer. Well, he stayed with her for something like five or seven days. She read yeah, to him yeah. a purpose-driven mm-hmm. life. Right, right. And that's what calmed him down. He was able to turn himself in. Well, during the period where he was in that trailer, holed up in that trailer, uh, the white, uh, he was either police chief or something with the police department in Atlanta. He said publicly on the news during one of the press conferences, two things that were incredible that he was allowed to get away with. One was the city of Atlanta hired people who were relatives of the people who were in power. Yep, I remember that. He, yep. said, he said they hired their friends and relatives, and they don't know anything. They don't yeah, have any yeah. experience. They don't know anything, and they're ignorant, and, oh, he just ranted. The other thing that he said was, why are they talking about what police officers do to them? What about black-on-black crime? What about what they do? I hope some of you remember that. He said, yeah, what I, about... I remember that, yeah. Yeah, what about what they do? So when we talk about what happens with the police officers and how they their impact on black communities, first of all, there are no more black communities. Second of all, they look at us and they see those kinds of things and they think everybody is the same way. Whereas when we look at the news and we see things that are coming on the news, we're not supposed to judge them the same way they judge us. So every single mass shooting that has taken place in this country, I believe all of them, with the exception of maybe one or two, have been done by somebody white between the age 
of 19. 18 and, and 35. Guy. 18 and 35. Okay, Generally, the guy, the guy, the guy in, in Vegas was in older. Vegas. Oh, he was 50 he was something. 50 something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but we never bring that up. And I understand it's not a, it's not tit for tat, but there are pathological uh, elements that go into all of this that nobody, especially on the police force, is looking at. And when people talk about they don't want to become a police officer for a variety of reasons, or as Black Lives Matter has said, defund the police, I wish the Black Lives Matter would go away. I wish we never had a Black Lives Matter because as far as I'm concerned, they really set us back. They set us way back because because of their behavior, because of the things that they stand for, their mission. Their mission has nothing to do with black people. It has every single thing to do with making sure that gay and transgender lifestyles are paramount and that they destroy the family. Mm -hmm. So Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, Melina Abdullah, Patrice Cullors' wife, all of them have destroyed the progress that we made even though we really haven't made a whole lot of progress. So the other point that I wanted to make, and I was enjoying the conversation that you guys have had, when we look at police forces and we can't get anybody on there, just as Ken said, the police are now being held accountable, which they never thought that they would ever have to be held accountable. And they have always maintained that shooting someone black, it's not the same way when you, it's not the same thing as shooting someone white because the the black life does not weigh as much as the white life. And I have heard, and I want to say it was probably in the Altadena Sheriff's Department, was it, their feeling was that a black life didn't, didn't mean that much. It didn't mean that much. And when you look at the numbers of what happens with black lives, I know things about, I've been involved, I should say, in what the city has to pay for black lives when they're wrongfully killed. But see, they've got insurance, so that doesn't come they out do, of the but city. remember, co- they do have insurance, but remember... doesn't come out of the city coffers or the police coffers, so they don't right, care. The union is a very, the police union is a very, very powerful the, the, police the, the union. union remember, is, the union is more powerful than the chief. Exactly. The union is more powerful than the chief. And the union will not allow them to do what the union feels they should not do, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. And remember, Falante told us that the police union is a huge organization. It's a very powerful organization, and it's a closed organization. Mm -hmm. So their feeling is that a black life is not worth as much as a white life. And I I want to... Go ahead and finish that. When they take a position or they shoot someone, they feel like it's no big deal. Yeah. Because it doesn't weigh as much. I want to circle back to talking about how we get more black young people on police forces and into the military. You know, and we started talking about this. I don't know if you heard that, uh, Colette, when you were dialing on the phone, but that's where I started this conversation. We've had all these resignations and retirements and everything. These are opportunities to get more folks. Because I always tell people, if you think it's bad now, just think how bad it would be if we had no black police officers, no black police chiefs, no black police lieutenants. This thing, I mean, 
we might as well just go back to Jim Crow. That's how bad it would be. And the only way we're going to fix it is from within. We're not going to fix the police departments by standing outside yelling and screaming and protesting. We have to have more people in there. And I get that we have a strained relationship with the police departments, and a lot of young people don't want to do that. I didn't want to do it. Now, that was a different time. But now there is an opportunity for young people of color, black and brown and Asians and everybody to get in these police departments and start making a difference and put yourself in a position where you can make some decisions to make things happen. And it's not understand that it's not going to happen overnight. You can't join the police department today and expect things to start getting better next week. It, the issues are deeply rooted. They're systemic and it takes time and effort and there are going to be roadblocks and there are going to be all sorts of things that get in your way, but that's the only way it's going to happen. I'm surprised every time I watch the news and I see another black police chief. There have been a lot of black police chiefs over the years. I'm going to look up to see how many, but we've had people there and some changes have been made, but we have to continue that process. So the police chief in Dallas, you, Renee Hall, what kind of changes has she implemented? She's gone. What? Yep. She's been, she's gone. She's been gone about two years. Really? Where did she go? I don't know. Um, but she, she's gone. Said they were giving her a hard time. It, it's, it's a tough job. I was talking to, oh, I tell you what, I was talking to the Richardson police officer uh, Saturday. I worked a gun show. I was talking to one of the officers there. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Mesquite. Or, no, Mesquite. He was a Mesquite officer. Um, and basically he said, you know, that's a tough job. And again, between the unions, and this is a black woman, you know, and so the things they put on her, you know, they want her to do the, and I remember some of the things watching some of the newscasts where people didn't like her and this and that and the other thing, and they never gave her a chance. You know, so it, it's hard. And again, with the union there, and again, this being, this is Texas, you know, uh, and now I believe the chief here is in Eddie Garcia. So we'll see how Eddie long. Eddie Garcia? He, yeah. So we'll see how long he lasts. Right. You know, again, it's deeply, it is deeply rooted. And you have to, you have to, you have to, be vigilant and you have to continue. Now she's gone. Right. Okay. That doesn't mean the next guy shouldn't try. Next guy should try. And the next guy and the next guy it's, you know, you don't chop a tree down in one swing. You don't chop a tree down in two swings, three, four, five swings. You just got to keep chopping at it. Keep. And the bigger the tree, the more swings it's going to take. And we are and dealing I, with I, a big giant, Sycamore, right. the sycamore. What do you call those trees up in Yosemite? Those big uh, tree trunks, you know, ten feet wide. They're right. redwoods. redwoods, giant redwoods. Thank, thank giant you. Redwoods. Yeah. We're trying to chop down a giant redwood. Thank yeah, you, Johnson. Yeah, with a knife, with a yeah. butter knife. Yeah, right. So it's going to take some time. Right. Oh, and by I'm the by you. the way, uh, twenty-one black police chiefs serving in America's fifty biggest cities. But go ahead. Wow. One of the things that we have to take responsibility for is that our view of police and the police department has been so jaded and clouded that as far as we're concerned, the police can do no right. 
they can do no right. And we had someone on this show last year, I believe it was. And I made this comment that there are good cops and there are bad cops. And that person happened to be someone from Black Lives Matter that I was saying that to. And his comment back was, oh, you're one of them. Oh, you one of those, one of those folks, one of those black folks. I don't know what that means, but there are good cops and there are bad cops. I don't believe that everybody on the police force is a bad cop. So, oh wow. Wow. Okay. Uh the first guy, this is uh Lawrence, Kansas, uh Ferguson. Ferguson, okay. Uh, Miami. Miami. Uh, Ann Kinney, whoever that is. Uh, Grand Rapids, Grand that's Rapids. Michigan. That Sacramento? Looks Sacramento, Boston, Philadelphia. Hey, Sacramento. Sacramento. Uh, Seattle, yeah. get out of here. Uh, Maryland. Maryland. Delco. Delco. Where's Delco? Don't know. Don't know where that gentleman's from. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I don't know where that one is. Ninth largest city in the U.S. hires its first African-American female police chief. Is that her? Is that you, Renee? Is that you, Renee? Yeah, I think no, that, that's not Renee. Oh, it's not. Okay. No. Yeah, it is. See, there she is. Dallas hires first. Dallas. Week. Yeah. Okay, that didn't look like her. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's her. Yeah, there she is right there, Dallas. Right, yeah. okay. Um, Toronto. Not here Toronto, in the States. Toronto, get out of here. Yeah. T-O. Toronto. That's way back when. Don't Morehouse College. Morehouse College. Yeah. Ferguson. Ferguson. Nashville. Nashville. Don't know that. Seattle. Charleston. Charleston. So they're out there. But I, but I will say this in mentioning Ferguson because... Ferguson is, is a prime example of us not doing what we should do. They finally hired a black mayor. The town is 70% black, but they finally hired a black mayor. The last go round after the Mike Brown situation, they reelected the first, the, the young white guy again, running against a black woman. And we got about five minutes. Uh, you want to wrap us up, Colette? Okay. What was that, Ken? I said we've got about five minutes left. Right. So what I wanted to also say is that I believe, as Chauncey and Leonard have said, this repair requires all of us to be involved. The only way to make this right is for all of us to be involved. Defunding the police, that language isn't going to work. We have a very good friend of the network, and that's A.J. Ali. He is right now producing a film and something else, the third annual event. And, and AJ has a very, very broad view of police departments. He gets to see a whole lot. He gets to see a whole lot up close and personal. So he has a very different view of police departments. He too believes that there are good cops and there are bad cops. And every time something happens, we converse because sometimes it's just completely out of hand. I really believe that LA, the LA police department, who is Michael Moore, 
and the sheriff's department are very, very strange. Michael Moore stays in even though he's been, he's had charges brought up against him. The sheriff, he stays in even though he too has had charges brought up against him. Sheriff Baca stayed in until they forced him out. So in LA, there is a cohesive group, including the union, and they stay regardless. And remember, what's the guy's name, Leonard, that was police chief? Daryl Gates. Who? Daryl Gates. No, no, the black guy, the tall black guy. Uh, oh, uh, Bernard, uh, Bernard Parks. Sheriff Clark. Bernard, 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 Bernard Parks, yeah. I'm sorry. Bernard Parks. Yeah. Bernard Parks and, and uh, Williams, who came from Chicago. Williams came from Chicago, and he was brought in. And remember, the city could not stand the fact that they brought in this man from Chicago to be the police chief after Daryl Gates. They could not stand him. So he stayed in, I believe it was something like two years, two years, and they brought him up against, they brought charges against him because he went to Vegas. And he went to Vegas because he and his family had never been to Vegas. His wife wanted to go. And someone in Vegas gave him a $2,500 vacation in Vegas. And because he took it, they, oh my God, they roasted him like he was a pig. Okay, they roasted him like crazy because he took that $2,500 vacation and they called him all kinds of names and made it as though he had done something detrimental to him, to the city, to anybody. But the city has never done anything with regard to bringing in black people and trying to squash, trying to bring some kind right. of closure to the friction that takes place in this city. Let, 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 me, let me show you about our progress because a lot of us say there's progress. So back when we were coming up, remember the police used to have their gun out and they were saying, why do you have your gun out when you pull us over? So now they don't pull their gun out. They leave it in the holster, but now they have their hand on the gun. I'm old, old enough to remember. You remember when you said salt and pepper? I'm not talking about the, the group. Salt and pepper met in Los Angeles. They had to have a black cop in the car because okay. of how the police treated us. Yeah, I now, remember, yep. we, we, they had the chokehold. What was the purpose of the chokehold? Then they stopped the chokehold. Now, our next graduation was the body cam. Why do we ask for the body cam? Because we know the way they treat us. Now, I'm talking about over 50 years. So it clearly shows that each time that they do something crazy, now our next thing is holding them accountable and putting them in jail. <clears throat> Excuse me. It took 50 years for that just to get to that. And this cat, they asked for 40 years. He only got 22. He'll be out in 15. And we had to have a perfect, perfect prosecution. Yep. To, 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 to nail him. And this is the progress that we made. Um, it, it clearly says that if we're going to be naive about this, um, how many more blacks are going to die between now and another 50 years? Mm -hmm. 
And then the other thing, uh, I thought you were going to mention, I'll get off in just a minute. I thought you were going to mention, Yolanda, uh, I was watching a program. I watched Joy Reid, and she had Cheryl uh, Dorsey on the call. And yeah, one of the things that they uh-huh. that you remember she was on our show. One yeah. of the things that they said was the police are going to get where, and they call it Operation Something, well, when there's a call from the black community, they don't come. And what she said was, that is to teach us a lesson. So when they're asking for us, we come back even more aggressive. Anyway, that's all I, I want yeah, to Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. And you know what? I'm perfectly fine with that. Don't come. Because that always turns out bad anyway. But uh, we are at the uh, top of the hour. Colette. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, and thank you all for joining us. And this is the Intentional Talk Radio Network. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday evening. We've got a great show planned for you for tomorrow, Conversations with Colette and Corliss. And we've got Bernard Fullen of Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. So be with us tomorrow. Tomorrow is the 30th. That is the... I won't say the last and final day of Black Music Month, but it sort of kind of comes to a a diminished point at this time. It will still be Black Music Month and year. So join us tomorrow for Conversations with Colette and Corliss. Have a good evening. Remember, itrmradio.com. You can get us on all your podcast platforms. It's been great fun, but we got to run. Have a good night. Be safe going home. This is where we talk to you, for you, with you, and about you. And it is all good. Have a good night, folks. Take care.